I am so glad that you're here. Uh, if For those who will be watching later on, we're on the back end of the hurricane that hit, and uh, I guess this is kind of the residue of it, but God spared us. And so we're thankful for that. I'm thankful that you're here, grateful for those who are watching online, those who are at our other campus at Mill Creek, those who are watching by way of television. We're glad that you joined us today. I, I want to show you a picture of one of my favorite places in the world, and Actually, every time I go to Israel, I make it a point to preach there. Now, that may not look familiar to you, but that is the Valley of Elah. Now, I might not ring a bell with you, but maybe this will. This is the setting of perhaps the most famous battle in the Old Testament. And what makes it so interesting is, and the reason why we all know about this battle is because not, it, not that it was fought really between two armies, it was really fought between two people. As a matter of fact, almost everybody that doesn't know anything about the Bible knows everything about this battle. You could go to anybody almost on any street in America and just say two words, David and Goliath, and they'll go, oh yeah, I've heard that story. I know what that story is all about, and it's a very important story. And I know it's a story that the author wanted to make sure that we would talk about and we remembered. He said, well, how do you know that? I know it because the author gives it a lot of space. If you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to look at the story with me. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and if you don't know much about the Bible, it's easy to find. You go to the very beginning of the Bible, you start Genesis, you start turning right, go about six or seven books over, you'll hit a book called Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, I know the story is a big deal because number one, it is one of the longest chapters in the Bible. It's 58 verses. It has 912 Hebrew words. It is one of those detailed descriptions of any Bible you will, or any battle you will find anywhere in the Bible. The author lets us know where it took place. It took place in the Valley of Elah. He let, even lets us know about the weapons that were being used. As a matter of fact, the only time in the Bible we're ever told what the enemy looked like, we were given his physical dimensions. And it was the author's way of saying, there's a lot you can learn from this story. You better read it and you better pay attention to it. Now, if you're a guest of ours today or joining us for the first time, we are in a series on, on a, I think, one of, if not the greatest king who ever lived, and his name was David. David is the most honored king in Israel. If you ever get to go to Israel with me, and I'm going next year, you'll get, he has his own tomb. He's the only king that has his own tomb. You know the, the, the sign of the nation of Israel. You know what it is. It is the star of David. Now, they had a lot of great kings, but David is kind of the king of all of their kings. And so we're in this series because I realize there's so much about David that there are a lot of life lessons that are relevant to the, in the 21st century about David and the life that he lived to teach us about how to live life today. Now, the story that we're looking at, frankly, is kind of like the Christmas story. I, I don't, you know, even though we tell the Christmas story every year and we love to hear it, everybody knows the Christmas story. And this is kind of one of those stories that if you're not careful, you'll kind of already tend to say, okay, I've heard this story before. I know what it's all about. I know how the story ends. And I don't really need to pay that much attention because there's an old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. And it really is easy to go, you know, I've heard this story, I've read this story, I've seen it on television, I've seen it at the movies, I know what happens, I know what it's all about, not sure that I really need to pay close attention. I'm going to ask you not to tune out, because I want to make a guarantee, I think I'll back up today, you're going to see some things in this story 
I bet you've never seen before. You're going to think about some things this story teaches us that maybe you've never ever thought about before or maybe that you overlooked because it has Hollywood written all over this story. I mean, you've got this huge giant. How big's this guy? He'd make the Incredible Hulk look like a punk, okay? This guy is one big dude. And not only is he fighting, but he's not fighting a man, he's fighting a boy. Now, get the picture. David, uh, Bible scholars tell us that David is about 15 years old. Now, think about this now. He's 15 years old. He doesn't even have his learner's permit. He can't even drive his father's chariot. He's not even started to shave. Now, that's not the picture of David that most people have. If you go to Florence, Italy, to the Academia Gallery, you'll see perhaps what is the most famous statue in all the world is Michelangelo's David. You may have seen this, this, uh, this picture before, and some of you may kind of figure out why we're not showing all of it. But anyway, <laughs> David is 14 feet tall. This statue is 14 feet tall. It is a towering presence. And that's, the, that's kind of the picture we have of David. You know, he's ripped. He's got a six pack. He's got bulging biceps. He's got tremendous triceps. I mean, he's built like a Greek God. That's not the boy in this story. He's a kid, just a ruddy faced kid. He's the youngest child in his family. By stature, he is the smallest. If you'd been on the battlefield that day and you'd seen David come out, you'd say, you've got to be kidding. Because on the outside, he was totally unimpressive. But on the inside, he was not like anybody else because he's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. Now, I believe this story captures one of David's finest hours. I call this David's MVP moment. This was when David moved to, from the minor leagues of life to the major leagues of life. And what we're going to learn today is how we can face the giants that we have in life, and we all have them, and how we can fight the giants in life, and we all have them, and how we can have victory over any giant that we face. And we all face them. Some of you face physical giants. You're facing an illness or a disease or a sickness. Some of you are facing a marital giant. Your marriage is in trouble and you don't think you're going to make it. Some of you are facing a financial giant. You're deep in debt. You don't know how you'll ever get out. Some of you are facing an emotional giant. You're battling depression, discouragement, disillusionment. Some of you are in a spiritual, uh, facing a spiritual giant. You're in a spiritual dry, no man's land right now. And you may be thinking about kind of waving the, way, the white flag, giving up and surrendering. This story will tell you not only why you shouldn't do it, but how you can be guaranteed to overcome any giant that you face. All you got to do is follow the steps of a giant killer. There are three of them. I want to give you this morning, okay? Number one, be focused on God's presence. If you're, if you're in a difficult time in your life right now and you think, think everything's against you, everything's going underwater, no pun intended, everything's going to hell in a handbasket, be focused on God's presence. Now, we're in 1 Samuel 17, at the very beginning of the story, Israel is fighting the Philistines. The Philistines, is, uh, they're Israel's most hated enemy. Now, if you get to go to Israel, it really is a cool place to go to the Valley of Elah. It's one of those places that had not changed in thousands of years. And so you've got the Philistines on one side of the valley, and you've got the Israelites on the other side of the valley. And the Israelites had a giant of a problem. And that problem was a giant. And he was 
a giant. As a matter of fact, the author says, I want you to know how big a giant he was because he gives us the most detailed description and picture of any warrior or any soldier you'll find anywhere in the Bible. We'll pick up in verse four. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Now, this man's called a champion, which by the way, I found this interesting. It's the only time that word champion is ever used in the entire Bible. It's kind of, kind of funny, really, when the only time the word champion is used in the Bible, it is actually used about this giant. And the word champion literally means a man between two armies. So you've got this champion. How tall is he? Nine feet, nine inches tall. Now, let me put that in perspective. You ready? He can dunk a basketball standing still. How much money would that guy make today, all right? He's nine feet, nine inches tall. He has a, he's wearing a bronze T-shirt. Now, listen to this. His bronze T-shirt weighed 175 pounds. He carried a spear. The head of the spear weighed 25 pounds. Now, I'm gonna tell you something right now you would have never known had you not come here, and this is why you ought to come to church every Sunday. In the first grade... He was so big in the first grade, he was the starting left tackle for his college football team. Now, see, you wouldn't have known that had you not come to church. You need to come to church. Now, listen, he had challenged Israel to this winner-take-all, mano-o-mano, one-on-one, let's get it on. Every day for almost six weeks, he would come out. He'd say, pick your best guy. Let's get it on. You fight, I fight. You win, we'll serve you. I win, you'll serve us. Six weeks he had done that. Nobody volunteered. Things were so desperate. The king had even tried to bribe somebody to fight this guy. So we read this. Listen. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage, and he will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. In other words, the king had offered this unbelievable reward. He said, if you will kill this guy, if you'll just stand up and give it a shot, you'll have fortune, you'll have fame, you'll even be a part of my royal family, you'll never pay a tax the rest of your life, you will be on easy street. But every day, the entire army had a headache. Nobody wanted to fight the giant. It reminds me of a little story I read the other day about a little boy that's playing in his garage. And his dad was talking to his uncle about a recent argument that he'd had with the wife, his wife, the boy's mother. And he said, Uncle John, I want to tell you something. My wife and I got into it the other day, and he said, I let her know exactly where I stood. I told her how things were going to be around this house. I told her I was the boss. And the next thing I know, she was crawling toward me on her hands and on her knees. And about that time, the little boy piped up saying, Daddy, is that, mommy when, is that when mommy came and told you to get out from underneath the bed and fight like a man? Now... Nobody was coming out from under the bed. Nobody wanted to fight this giant. Nobody. The king wouldn't fight. The generals wouldn't fight. The buck privates wouldn't fight. The commanders wouldn't fight. 
The soldiers wouldn't fight. And here's why they wouldn't fight. They were all focused on the giant. Then David shows up. The reason why David showed up was he wasn't old enough to serve in the army. He was actually back in Bethlehem taking care of his dad's sheep. But his dad sent him to the front lines of battle to deliver some food to his brothers and to bring back news about how the war was, was going and how the war was you know, being run. So David comes in and he kind of pretty you know, quickly sizes up the situation. And now we're going to hear the first words we ever hear David say recorded in Scripture. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? He hadn't heard about all these things the king was going to do. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? By the way, that's the way he refers to him. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, there's something important in this verse that if you're kind of reading it, you wouldn't really pay attention to, but I want you to pay attention to it. And the word I want you to pay attention to is the word God. Because that is the first time God is ever mentioned in this story. For six weeks, it's been all about the giant. For six weeks, it's been all about Goliath. And for the first time, God is mentioned. Because what had the army been saying for almost six weeks? Here's what they were saying. The Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? In other words, every time the giant came out, they would say this, Look how much bigger he is than we are. The first time David sees the giant, he says, look how much smaller he is than God. Everybody else is focused on the giant. David is focused on God. Now listen, this is an important lesson. When you face a problem that you think you can't solve, when you face an obstacle you don't think you can get over, when you face a giant you think you can't defeat, I want you to remember this, Fear will focus on the giant. Faith will focus on God every time. Fear will focus on the giant. Faith will focus on God. Now, if you read this entire story, I went back. I was reading it just a while ago in, in, back in the, in my, in the green room. And I went back and I got out a, pen, a, a pen and I did something you'll find interesting. I circled every time David mentions Goliath. I put a circle around it. Then I mentioned every time David talked about God. He only talks about Goliath two times. He says something about Goliath, who's gonna fight this uncircumcised Philistine, and then he says something to Goliath. He says, you're nothing but an uncircumcised Philistine. He mentions the giant two times. Do you know how many times he mentions God? 10 times. For every one time he mentions the giant, he mentions God five times. In other words, David talked about God five times more than he talked about the giant. You know what we usually do? We usually reverse that ratio. We might mention God once, but we'll mention the giant five times. See, God wasn't even on their radar screen. David, God filled David's radar screen. They couldn't see anything but the giant. David could not see anything but God. And so if you want to be someone after God's own heart, the next time you face that giant, the next time you face that challenge, the next time you face that problem, the next time you face that difficulty, the, face, the next time you face something you cannot beat, you need to be focused on God's presence. You can't go anywhere that God doesn't go with 
you. So number one, be focused on God's presence. Number two, be fearless in God's power. Be fearless in God's power. Now here's the good news. Finally, an Israelite shows up who says, I'll fight him. I'll take him on. let's, Let's get it on. That's the good news. The bad news is it's not a battle-tested soldier. It's a boy. It's a shepherd boy. It's an inexperienced shepherd boy. 15 years old. He has never held a sword. He's never wielded a shield. He's never put on a suit of armor. He's never even seen a battlefield, much less been on one. So you got to ask yourself the question, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is just not computing with me. Why was David ready to run to the fight when everybody else wanted to run from the fight? Well, here's the answer. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. In other words, he said, son, listen, we're not playing games here. This is for real. This is for keeps. We're not talking sheep. We're talking giants. You could die and die just like that. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And at that point, Saul wanted to say, that's the problem. But he keeps going. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, that's pretty gutsy, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me, now this is important. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, I love this, go and the Lord be with you. Don't you love that? Big old King Saul says, man, we're gonna fight this giant to the last drop of your blood. Go get him, David. Go sick him, David. Every time I read that, it just blows my mind. It takes a shepherd to remind a king of just how powerful God is. It took a shepherd to remind soldiers of just how powerful God is. And every time I read this story, and listen, I've been right where a lot of you are with with giants in my own life. I always ask myself the question, why do we fear our giants so much? Why do we worry so much? Why do we quit too easily? Why do we run too quickly? And then I go back to what David said to Saul. When Saul said to him, son, do you see how big that guy is? Do you understand how many battles he's fought? Do you understand how many men he's killed? And you've never even been on a battlefield. And then David reminds us of a lesson. We forget what we ought to remember. And we remember what we ought to forget. We magnify the giant that is before us and we minimize the God that is within us. Isn't that true? We forget what we tend should remember 
and we remember what we need to forget. We magnify this giant that is before us, and we minimize the God that is within us. See, God has given us, we're so unique. God has given us three kinds of sight that animals don't have. You ever thought about this? I don't mean physical sight. God's given us three kinds of sights that animals don't have. God has given us hindsight. God has given us insight. And God has given us foresight, right? So God has given us hindsight. We have the ability to look back. God has given us insight. We have the ability to look in. And then God has given us foresight. He's given us the ability to look ahead. Now, let me tell you why I say that. Listen, the right hindsight, the right hindsight will give you the proper insight to have a confident foresight. The right hindsight will give you the proper insight to have a confident foresight. Let me, give, let me just make something obvious. Why are you here today? I don't mean why did you come to church. I don't mean that. Why are you here today and not here? There's only one reason. God has taken care of you. God takes his hand off you one second. You're out of here. God takes his hand off you one second. You don't breathe anymore. Your heart doesn't beat anymore. The reason you're even here today is because God took care of you yesterday. So if God took care of you yesterday, don't you think he can handle today? And if God can handle today, don't you think he can handle tomorrow? See, the reason why David could face the present and be unafraid of the future is because he, he remembered what happened in the past. He said, look, you're worried about me and that giant? Can, can, let me just let you in a little secret there, King Saul. I took a stick in my bare hands and killed a lion. I took a stick in a bare hand and I killed a bear. And by the way, I know something you don't even know yet. It wasn't because I was such a powerful bear killer or a lion killer. I didn't kill it in my strength. It was because of God's strength. Here's the point. If you remember what God has done for you yesterday, you will believe what he can for, do for you today and you will be confident in what he will do for you tomorrow. But you got to go back. You've got to exercise the right hindsight to have the proper insight to give you the correct foresight. Remember what he did for you yesterday. Then you believe what he can do for you today. And then you'll be confident in what he will do for you tomorrow. See, here's what they, here was the difference between David and everybody else. David remembered what everybody else had forgotten. David believed in what everybody else doubted. That's why he stepped up when everybody else stepped up back. See, when you see the God that others don't, you'll do for God what others won't. When you see for God, see the God that others don't, you'll do for others, uh, or you'll do for God what others don't. What David realized was, you know what? You, you don't really realize the giant you guys are facing. Now listen to this. He said, King, that's not the giant that you face. That's not your problem. The problem is not the giant that you face. The problem is the fear of the giant that you have. That's your problem. The giant's not your problem. Your fear is the problem. Yes, that trial, that trouble, that temptation, that tribulation you're facing, it may look like a giant. It may sound like a giant. It may feel like a giant. But let me tell you something. There's really only one giant that we fear. That's fear. 
That's really the only giant that we face is fear. Fear will always say, look how much bigger that giant is than I am. Faith will say, look how much smaller that giant is than God. So the scene is set. The fight is about to begin. Some of you may remember that when Muhammad Ali fought George Foreman in Zaire, they called it the rumble in the jungle. Some of you may remember that. Well, this is the rally in the valley, okay? You got the giant and you've got the shepherd. Now, go, go just kind of imagine the scene. I guarantee you, that they didn't have Las Vegas back then, but they had the spirit of Las Vegas. I promise you, everybody's placing their bets on this fight. And I can tell you right now, who's betting on David? Well, the Philistines aren't betting on David. The giant's not betting on David. David's brothers are not betting on David. The Israelite soldiers are not betting on David. Even David's king is not betting on David. Everybody is putting their money on Goliath except David. David is not just betting on God. He's betting his life on God. He's putting all the marbles in God's basket. He's putting all the money on God's color. Because David knew something. Say, so, okay, what did David know? Here's what David knew. You ready for this? When you bet on God, you always win. You bet on you, you may lose. You bet on me, you may lose. You bet on circumstances, you may lose. You bet on the government, you may lose. You bet on interest rates, you may lose. You bet on the stock market, you may lose. But when you bet on God, you always win. Every single time. That's why we ought to be fearless in God's power because what David understood was what's something you've heard a thousand times. It does not matter who is against you if God is for you. So David was fearless in God's power. And then the last thing, and this is the most important part, be fervent for God's praise. Be fervent for God's praise. Be focused on God's presence. Be fearless in God's power, but be focused on God's praise. I want you to watch what happens. This is the best part of the story because here we go now, okay? One thing that both sides are convinced of. There's one thing that you didn't have to convince anybody of that day. Everybody knew this fight's not gonna last long. It's not gonna take long. I mean, this fight's gonna be over super quick because let me, what have you got? On one side, you got a tornado. On the other side, you got a toothpick. Right? On one side, you got an 18-wheeler. On the other side, you got a minibike. One side, you got a gator. One side, you got a bulldog, right? Well, the Philistines couldn't wait, and the Israelites couldn't watch. If, if, if this had taken place today, the Philistines would have had their cell phones out taking pictures. The Israelites, they would have had blindfolds covering their eyes because everybody was wondering, well, I wonder what David's last words will be because they'll be his last words. Well, to everybody's surprise, they weren't his last, but boy, they were some of his best. Listen to what David says. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know. This is the big part. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. David said, I want everybody to get this straight and understand because you've been misunderstanding something on both sides for six weeks and I want to disabuse you of your misunderstanding. David said, this is not about me. And it is not about him. This is all about God. And what I'm about to do, I'm not doing it for fame. I don't need to be a part of the king's family. I'm not doing it for fortune. I don't want the money. I'm not doing it to get out of paying taxes because I'm a poor man, don't pay much tax anyway. What I'm about to do, I'm doing for one reason, for the glory of God. That's all that matters to me. I'm doing this for the glory of God. Fighting in the name of God, I will be delivered by the power of God and I'm going to do it for the glory of God because the battle is not mine, the battle is the Lord's. Now, it may be the most famous story in the Bible, but I'm absolutely convinced when I hear people talk about it, it is the most misunderstood. And here's why. We think this story is about a little shepherd boy named David and it's a story about a big giant named Goliath. That is not what the story is about. The story's not about David. And the story's not about Goliath. The story is all about God. It's not a story about a giant. It's a story about the giant. This is not a story about a boy who killed a giant for God. I'm gonna say that one more time. This is not a story about a giant, about a boy who killed a giant for God. This is a story about a God who killed the giant for the boy. Some of you missed that all of your life. This is not a story, listen, this is not a story even about the giants that we face. That's not what the story's about. It is a story about the God that fights the giants that we face. Because see, you wake up today, you wake up in the morning, you say, oh man, I gotta go to battle again. Life's a battle, and it is. I gotta go to war again. Life's a war, it is. However, the battle's not yours. The battle is the Lord's. I mean, you think about Goliath. Think about it. Here's this giant. He's wearing a bulletproof vest. He's got this Kevlar helmet. He's got steel-nosed boots. His sword is taller than David. His shield weighs more than David. And all that little 15-year-old kid has is five rocks and a slingshot. Now, let me just stop right there. Let's be honest. <clears throat> who would you bet on? I know who I'd bet on. I'm not ashamed to tell you. I'm not betting on the boy. No, you say, well, we'd all bet on the giant. Exactly. That's why Hollywood makes the movie. Because here's what we read in verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, they couldn't believe it. Every time they, for, for six weeks, every time Goliath moved toward the army, the army ran away from the giant. 
Now for the first time, as the, as, the, as the giant moves toward David, David runs to the giant. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. First insurance company in the Bible, God, David gave Goliath a piece of the rock. Now, you remember what David's very last words were? They thought would be his last words, remember? He said, for the battle is the Lord's. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's. He will give you all into our hands. In other words, David was not fighting for God. God was fighting for David. David was fighting God's battle. God was fighting David's battle. So let me kind of let you in on a little secret, okay? The fight was fixed. It was not a fair fight. Goliath never had a chance. And here's why. Because Goliath wasn't fighting David. Goliath was fighting God. David didn't kill Goliath for God. God killed Goliath through David. David got the victory, but God got the glory. God got the praise. God got the honor, and that's all David cared about, and that's why he was a man after God's own heart, because David looked at him, and God looked at David, and he said, David, you're so unlike anybody else. You don't care about fame. You don't care about fortune. You don't care about your name. You don't care about your reputation. You don't care about what's in it for you. All you care about is what's in it for me. All you care about is my glory and my honor. That's why you're after my own heart. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. So David kills Goliath. You go read the rest about, about David's life. Did David ever, ever, ever brag about killing Goliath the rest of his life? Nope. You know, David never autographed his books and signed it, David GGK, great giant killer. Because that's not why he fought the giant. He fought the giant for this reason that the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Let me tell you something. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the number one goal in your life ought to be that other people would know because of the way you live, there's a God in Israel. People ought to know by the way you conduct yourself and the way you act, there's a God in Israel. People ought to know by the boldness with which you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you want people to know there's a God in Israel. People, people ought to know because of, because of the way we take courage and we stand for what's right and we stand against what is wrong, we're not doing it to draw attention on ourselves. No, we're not trying to do it to pass judgment on anybody else. We just simply want people to know there is a God in Israel. David focused on God's presence. He was fearless in God's power. He was fervent for God's praise. And now that brings us to an even deeper truth in the story, one that I guarantee you most of you have never even considered and never even thought about because there's an even deeper truth in the story that I promise you, you've not seen. Because this story is not about a little shepherd boy that beat a big giant. It's not primarily a story about David or Goliath. It's not even a story about you or about me. This is really more a story and really truly a story about God. 
Because the reason this story is in the Bible and the reason why David fought this giant is because David, 3,000 years after this battle was fought, David is still coming to us and he's still letting, telling us, I want you to know something today. There's one thing that hasn't changed in 3,000 years. There is still a God that saves. There is still a God that delivers. There is still a God that rescues. There is still a God that fights your battles. There's still a God that can de defeat your giants. There's still a God that can solve your problems. There's still a God that can meet your needs. There's still a God that can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Because you see, this is not primarily a story about a shepherd. This is primarily a story about a savior. It's primarily a story about Jesus. Now, let me explain. Where was David from? Somebody tell me. Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. What did David do for his father? He was a what? He was a shepherd. What did Jesus call himself? The good shepherd. The giant taunted, taunted Israel for 40 days. The devil tempted Jesus. How many days? 40 days. Why all these parallels? Now listen. The only one who could face that giant that day, that day was David, the ancestor of Jesus. A thousand years later, the only one that could face Satan was Jesus, the son of David. Now, what's this? This, is, this will be worth fighting the rain for today, okay? A thousand years before Jesus was born, his ancestor, great, 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 David kneels down at a brook and picks up five stones and a slingshot and did what nobody else would do or could do. He takes that, sling, that stone, he takes that slingshot and he defeats that giant. 1,000 years later, Jesus didn't face one giant, he faced two. He faced Satan and he faced sin. Jesus knelt down in a garden. He didn't pick up five stones. He picked up a cross. And where David lived, Jesus died. But where David later died, Jesus rose from the dead never to die again. The first David needed God to defeat his giant. The second David was God who defeated his giant. The first David needed God to defeat his giant for him. The second David was God who's defeated our giants for us. The first David never shed a drop of blood, never got a scratch on his body. The second David shed his blood and was bruised and battered beyond recognition. The first David died and went to dust. The second David died but came back from the grave never to die again. And because of him, we don't have to run from any giant. We can run to any giant because we have a God who is with us. We have a God who is for us. We have a God who is in us, who is bigger than any giant that we face. That's the story of David. That's the story of Goliath. And I'm telling you, 3,000 years after that battle was fought, 
There is a God in Israel. There is a God who rescues. There is a God who saves. There is a God who delivers. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray together.